be with you. We're looking at the Sermon on the Mount. We're up to chapter 6. I'd like to invite you to take your Bible out and read along with me. Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. So there's a... Hopefully you brought a Bible with you or use your phone or there's some Bibles in the chair that you can use there. In the New Testament, the first book, Matthew, the sixth chapter, Matthew 6, starting with verse 25. Matthew 6:25 Therefore I tell you do not worry about your life what you will eat or drink or about your body what you will wear is not life more than food and the body more than clothes Look at the birds of the air they do not sow or reap or store away in barns and yet your heavenly Father feeds them Are you not much more valuable than they Can any one of you by worrying add a single hour to your life And why do you worry about clothes See the flowers of the field, they do not labor or spin, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. This is God's word, and it's true, and we can rely on it. So one of the things I do when I'm reading God's word is I try to pay attention to how it's affecting me. And I don't just pay attention to what I'm thinking. I also pay attention to what I'm feeling. Am I having some reaction to the passage? And does this stir up some uh, something inside of me? And I find that often when I pay attention to my emotional reaction, it's a more provocative thing than just my thoughts. So there was one phrase in this passage that stirred up a whole lot in me. It hit me like a ton of bricks, and I actually found it kind of hard to hear Jesus say, do not worry about your life. Do not worry. And my reaction from my gut was, you got to be kidding me. Look around the world, right? We have stuff that is constantly happening that causes us to worry. We worry about our kids. We worry about whether they're going to get good grades or make bad choices. We worry about maybe finding a job or losing a job. We worry about diabetes or heart disease or cancer or Alzheimer's. We worry about national security or global warming. We worry about whether our lives will amount to anything or whether our lives will be cut short. We worry about a lot of stuff. It was kind of funny because I went home last night. You know, I come in here on, on Saturday night and usually practice this. And I go home and Mary, when I step in back home, always goes, how to go? And I... Uh, I said to her, no kidding, I'm worried about this one. (laughs) And then this morning, again, it hit me. We were having prayer, okay, so we're trying to get ourselves centered and prepared and ready for the day, and I hear banging around the hallway, and I step out there. They're looking for tables. Some tables are missing, and I go, I'm worried. Where did our tables go? (laughs) Sally worries about the right career choice. Bill worries about finding the right spouse. Linda is afraid that a relationship is beyond repair. 
Fred constantly frets about what people think about him. Ben worries that he won't make the team. Dan is anxious about his weight. Cindy spends sleepless nights worrying about her relationship with Brad. Joe is worried about environmental toxins. Ted is worried about terrorist attacks. Jared panics about what will happen after college. Jacqueline's a germaphobe. Sarah frets about getting old. Ben fears big crowds. Sherry's afraid that God doesn't love her. Terry frets about his worth as a person. Larry worries about finding his purpose in life. Barry's scared to death about the future, and Jim is just scared of death. What worries you? And uh, I don't know, maybe you came in here this morning with no worries, but now I'm wondering how that's working for you. (laughs) It's been said that we worry about money more than anything else. I don't know if that's true, but I know many of us do worry about making ends meet and paying our bills and financing college or retirement or whatever. We we worry about losing control of our lives sometimes. And sometimes we worry because everyone expects us to be in control. We worry about relationships with our spouses and our children and our in-laws and our extended family. And sometimes we worry because we don't have a relationship with members of our family. Somebody said that worries attend us like bees to honey. And I find that for me, oftentimes that's a very true statement. And I don't think it's just me. I think we live in an age that is incredibly anxious about many things. And if you're not, then stay off of Twitter because they're every day stirring up more anxieties for everybody. One commentator suggested that anxiety is the curse of the 21st century. We worry for the sake of worrying. So what are we going to do about it? That's the question for the day. What are we going to do about it when worry comes? Get a home security system? Stick our head in the sand and ignore it? Report suspicious activity? I get a kick out of that when I'm at the airport. Like just about everything I see happening at the airport is somewhat suspicious, but I don't know. (laughs) Yoga? Positive self-talk? Set a timer? One of the suggestions I came across this week was actually limit yourself to 30 minutes of worry a day. Set a timer, and you got 30 minutes to get it all out there, and then the person who suggested this admitted it didn't work. (laughs) What to do, what to do about worry? Jesus said, don't worry. Don't worry about life. And there's a lot of other Bible passages that reinforce this same thing. Psalm 37, 7, do not fret. Proverbs 24, 19, do not worry. And it gives a bunch of reasons why you shouldn't. Isaiah 43, 11, do not be afraid, fear not. Ecclesiastes 11, 11, banish anxiety from your heart. Philippians 4, 6, do not be anxious about anything. The verse that Karen read here this morning from 1 Peter, cast all your cares on God. Or Jesus said it this way, Do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? I wonder if the Bible has so much to say about worry, because God knows we have a lot of it. I often think about that with commands that I see in Scripture, like, uh, you know, there's continual commands to be strong and courageous, be strong and courageous. 
continue commands to say, stand firm, stand firm, stand firm. Are these the things we need help with? We lack courage. We lack the ability to stand firm. We worry. Anxiety and fear and fretting are counterintuitive, especially for us as Christians, because we think, you know what, well, we, we, we know we shouldn't. We know we've got lots of good reasons to be courageous and confident, to stand firm and strong no matter what. There's a gap, it seems like, between the biblical kind of command, the ought to of the Bible, you ought to not worry, and the kind of street-level reality of day-to-day living. We find ourselves worried sick sometimes. Isn't that an interesting phrase? My mom used that one a lot. I am worried sick about this. And it's actually true because worry does things like creates dizziness, dry mouth, fast heartbeat, fatigue, headaches, muscle aches, nausea, rapid breathing, sweating, trembling and twitching, suppression of the immune system, digestive disorder, short-term memory loss, heart attacks. These are things that come because we're worried sick. So I'm wondering, why do we worry ourselves sick? And one answer, it seems to me, might be that we live in a, a world that's broken. You know, there's fallenness all around us. The, the world is not the way God designed it. We live in a world where trials and tribulations and troubles come, where deceit and danger and disappointment. <clears throat> These are realities that we face in this world. And the Bible's actually very honest about this. The Bible says the world's broken, badly broken. Uh, the Bible says that the whole world is groaning in this brokenness, longing for the day when everything is going to be set right. And if you live in a world where things are not set right, it seems to me that one of the most natural responses might be to worry. What is going to be the consequence of living around such brokenness, such mess, such heartbreak? You know, I don't think a day passes that I don't have some conversation or get some email or hear some information that just makes me think, this is troublesome. This makes me worry. These things are not the way they ought to be. And so I think, well, we should work to protect our loved ones from some of this stuff, right? We want to provide safety and security. We want to, we want to provide a world that's safe. And so we should be aware and realistic about our expectations about this world, that you know, this is the kind of kingdom we live in. I, I thought the passage that um, Randy read makes this case very clearly. 2 Corinthians 4. We have this treasure in earthen vessels. But this is so that the excellence of the power may be of God and not of us. We are hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. We are perplexed but not in despair. We are persecuted, but not forsaken. We are struck down, but not destroyed. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. 
For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen, they are eternal. This is what Jesus is talking about in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, look, you've got a couple of options here on how you're going to deal with this worry. One thing would be to say, hey, let's look at the world and let's look at our suffering. Let's look at the trials. Let's look at the troubles. Let's, let's look at our worries. Let's see what's happening there. And you can focus on that. Or you can look beyond that kingdom, beyond that world, to another kingdom, a, a parallel world, a parallel kingdom. Remember what Jesus is doing here throughout the Sermon on the Mount? He's casting a vision of a dream for God's kingdom. Like if we lived in God's kingdom, this is what it would be like. And he's constantly lifting our eyes up off of the world and our troubles and the troubles that we create in it. And he's saying, look at this kingdom. Look at what happens when God's kingdom comes in all of its fullness and all of its beauty and all of its greatness and power and wonder. Look at that kingdom. And when we lift our eyes up from that kingdom, it creates a completely different response in us, doesn't it? Getting sucked into this world and its trials and troubles. Fret, worry, anxiety. Looking at the kingdom that God wants to bring. Hope, joy, anticipation, excitement. This is the thing that God wants to do, and he's breaking into this world to accomplish it. This is what Jesus has been saying all along. This side of the heavenly kingdom, we're going to have to deal with both realities. We deal with the reality of we live in a world where there is not shalom. There's not this peace, this wholeness that God desires. The world is not the way it ought to be. We have to live with that. But we live with that, not as people without hope, but people who are looking to this kingdom, this heavenly kingdom. Uh, Last week, we talked about this in terms of treasures. We're not looking at the treasures that we amass and compile here that, you know, the moth eats and rust destroys and the thieves come and steal. We're looking at a treasure that's beyond that, a treasure in a kingdom that is God's kingdom. If we focus only on the brokenness, well, that leads to worry. If we can focus beyond the brokenness, that might lead to something else. So I think there's an important distinction that needs to be made here, at least one that helps me out. And that means that we look at life through the lens of Scripture, and we're honest about life, but we're also hopeful because of the promises of God. We're hopeful because of this dream of God's kingdom coming. We're hopeful because we know this is what God wants to accomplish And this, I think, doesn't eliminate worry, but it leads to freedom from worry so that our worry does not debilitate us, does not cripple us. I got an example here for you of how this works from Psalm chapter 3. This is a psalm that David wrote. And when David wrote this psalm, he was hiding in a cave. His own son, Absalom, was out to get him and was trying to kick him off the throne and take over the kingdom. And then David wrote these words. Lord, how many are my fools? How many rise up against me? How many are saying of me, God will not deliver you? But you, Lord, are a shield around me, my glory, the one who lifts my head high. I call out to the Lord and he answers me from his holy mountain. I lie down and sleep and I wake again because the Lord sustains me. I will not fear, though tens of thousands assail me on every side. For the Lord, from the Lord comes deliverance. May your blessing be on your people. This is, I think, as honest as it gets about uh, worry. David's got it bad. He's 
hiding out and you know how monarchies work that the son doesn't get to take the throne until the dad is dead. So this is the aim of those who are coming against King David. They want him out of there. He's only got a handful of loyal supporters. The country is embroiled in a civil war. His own family is divided because of sin and betrayal and, and it looks bleak. And you might go, well, there's a reason to worry, right? This world is falling apart. They're saying to David, it's hopeless. No one's going to deliver you from this. And David has a choice. He could say, I'm going to look at that reality that's around me, and I'm going to fret and become anxious. But God, uh, David does not do that. He says, I'm going to look at what God's doing. And here's what God's going to do. God is going to protect me. God's going to be a shield around me. God is going to deliver me. This is the world that David sees. And so he can say these words, in peace I lie down and sleep. You know, one of the effects of anxiety for many people is sleeplessness or restlessness. I've, I've had this experience in the past where, man, I get something in my head and there's no falling asleep. David says, in peace I lie down and sleep. For you alone, you alone, O Lord, Make me dwell in safety. That sounds kind of like what Paul was saying. Even though the outward man is perishing, yet day by day I'm being renewed. I'm hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. This is the dream that Jesus is painting of the kingdom that God wants to bring, and he wants to bring it for all of us. And so I'm wondering then how we navigate that? Is there some specific, some specific steps that we can take when this worry or this anxiety starts to come? How can we reset our anxiety? And it seems to me it has to do with where you're going to look. Are we going to look at the world and its brokenness? Are we going to look at the troubles that are pressing in on us? Or are we going to look beyond that to God's kingdom? And this is exactly where Jesus ends in this passage Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, he says, and all these things will be added to you. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Can you imagine a world where there is no worry? Because there is nothing to worry about? Wouldn't that be a great kingdom? This is the kingdom of God, a kingdom of mercy and justice, And grace, a kingdom of unconditional love. In that kingdom, there's no worry. A kingdom where there's no prejudice, no pride. In that kingdom, there's no worry. A kingdom where there's abundance without greed, no worry. A kingdom with forgiveness, no matter what, that's a kingdom with no worry. And Jesus invites us to reset our dreams about life by saying the thing that we are seeking above all has nothing to do with this worldly kingdom. It has everything to do with God's kingdom. Seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Do you know the term anxious bench? Have you ever heard that phrase, anxious bench? This is from a revivals. If you go back in our history as a country, there, these itinerant people would go around and preach God's word and try to spark revival. And there was always a chair or a bench right near the pulpit. 
And that was called the anxious bench. And it was, I tease people sometimes that they never sit in the front row here because it's the spit zone. That's a different kind of anxiety. The anxious bench is the person who is the most concerned about the state of their soul. And they're so concerned about it, they want to get right next to the pulpit, right next to the preacher, because they want the full power of God's Word to come down upon them. They're that concerned about the state of their soul. They sit on the anxious bench. That's what it was called. And I find it interesting because when I have conversations with people and when I look in my own heart, I find that I'm anxious about a great many things a lot of the time. But one thing that I hardly ever hear anybody come to me about is this. Ooh, Pastor Ken, I'm anxious about my soul. I'm anxious about the state of my soul. I'm anxious about what God might be doing in my heart. I'm anxious about this. I'm concerned. I'm worried. I'm fretting. I'm I, I want to know what God's doing. I don't hear that, which makes me think about the importance of this reset. Because it seems like if our treasures are here on earth and we're focused on the world that's around us, pressing in on us, then our anxiety often becomes worldly anxieties. But if our focus was on God's kingdom and His treasure and His righteousness, then it seems like our anxiety should almost always be about our soul. What is God doing? What is he doing in me, and how is he shaping and molding me, and what is this going to do to impact my, my heart and my eternity? And if we were anxious about our soul, then we have a really good way to find courage and confidence, a way to say, it is well with my soul, because we know that God takes care of our souls, and we know that he loved us so much that he was willing to send his own son to come and to live in the realities of this anxious world and live perfectly and go all the way to the cross and die and then be raised again from death so that he could take care of our souls, so he could set us right, so that we could be brought into God's kingdom, so that we could become God's sons and daughters. This is how much God cared about our soul, the condition of our soul. So one way for us to respond to anxiety, this kind of universal, I think, human experience uh, that often impacts us in negative ways, we recognize it's because of the world we live in, because there is good reason to worry sometimes, but we also recognize that we can respond to it maybe in some new ways. One thing we can do is we can go to God with it. We just go to God and we say, God, you're the one who rules and reigns, you're the one who sustains this world. You're the one who controls our lives. You're the one who holds all things. I'm going to go to God with this worry. And then the next thing I'm going to do is I'm going to talk to God about it. I'm actually going to say, God, okay, uh, I'm going to name it. Here's the thing I'm concerned about. Here's the thing that's bothering me that I'm fearful of, that I'm concerned and fretting about. Tell him. Offer him my prayers. And make my requests. Make my petitions to him. Give thanks to God for what he is doing and look forward to what else he wants to do. And then I'm going to seek God's kingdom. I'm going to find myself in a whole different world, seeking different kinds of treasures, looking out for what's important to God and what's important for my soul. And then I'm going to seek God's righteousness, seek the treasures that He treasures above all other treasures, seek God's goodness and His wholeness and perfection, to seek the shalom, the peace, the wholeness that God wants us to seek. And then rejoice. So much of the scripture, when it talks about worry, it's coupled with talking about rejoicing, which got me thinking about, you know, there's a phrase, whistling in the dark, 
You know that phrase? Which was kind of the idea of like, I'm going through a really tough place and maybe if I whistle, the boogeyman will stay in the shadows. Kind of wishful thinking kind of thing. But rejoicing in Scripture is not like that. Rejoicing in Scripture is like uh, whistling in the light. So I recognize that even though there is darkness all around me, I'm walking in light. And so I can rejoice. I'm in a whole different kingdom. This rejoicing celebrates what God is and that God is everywhere and always helpful. And I think this is why David could write the things he wrote in Psalm 3, that though my enemies are pressing in on every side, yet I am resting in peace because I know that I'm walking in God's light. I'm walking in God's kingdom. He said something similar in the psalm right before this, Psalm 2. Why do the nations conspire and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against the anointed one, saying, let us break their chains and throw off their shackles. And the one enthroned in heaven laughs. Isn't that a great picture? You know, we plot and we worry and we fret and we stew and we wonder what's going to happen. And God is like, ah, like you think you have any control of any of this. No, we rejoice because God is... I think this is why Paul writes these words in Philippians 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evidence to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything... But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Isn't that beautiful? What do you do when anxiety comes? Rejoice. I say it again. Rejoice in the Lord. Let your gentleness be evident to all. Remember, the Lord is near. So, Be anxious about nothing, but in everything, with prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, make your request to God. And you will have the peace that passes all understanding. And I think this is why Jesus can say in the Sermon on the Mount, do not worry about your life. Let's pray. Lord God, we come to you today and we thank you for your love. We thank you for the words of truth in your word. And God, we thank you for your Holy Spirit who helps us to understand these truths and to live them out. So we praise you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.